When you're going through a challenging time, you have three options, retreat, survive, or thrive. Keith Cantor, CEO of First Community Mortgage, talks about these options on this show today. And he's chosen to thrive through some of these challenging times in the housing market. But here's the thing. He's not just leading himself. He's leading 300 other employees. And so a big part of our conversation is going to be about how he's doing that. So for you, maybe you're retreating from something right now. Maybe you're just trying to survive. My challenge for you is what would it look like to think about thriving through whatever it is you're going through? It's time for you and me to wake up and lead. So a few months ago, I was looking for the absolute perfect person to reach out to about WildSpark, the company that I work for. And I was, I was, I was pretty frustrated. And so I went on LinkedIn to this place where you can type in keywords. And I typed in CEO, culture, leadership, and Jesus. And about three people in America popped up. Keith Cantor was one of them. We've gotten to know each other the last few months. And here we are today. Keith, welcome to the show. Thanks, Anson. I appreciate that. Uh, it, it has been awesome getting to know you and, and just learn from you and even get to meet some of your family over the last couple of months. And so I figured, you know, I want to introduce you to some of my friends. So I, Keith is the, the CEO of First Community Mortgage, and um, you've been doing that for quite some time now. So why don't we just jump in? I'd love to hear some of your story of how, how things got started. Um, what was it, 20, 20, 21 years ago or so now? Yeah, we just celebrated our 20-year anniversary at SDM okay. back in May, so that was that was pretty cool. But before that, I had owned a company for six years, and I sold that to uh, the bank that I currently work for that owns uh, First Community Mortgage in 2002. So it's been a 20-year journey. Wow. It's been great. That's incredible. Um, well, well, why don't you tell me a little bit about how all that got started? Yeah, you know, I got into the mortgage lending space kind of by default. Not many people go to college and say, I want to be in the mortgage business. It's, it's really interesting. It's, it's kind of an oddity, you know, why uh, that's the case. But anyway, when you ask mortgage people, how did you get in the business? You hear various stories. And for me, I wanted to be a financial planner. And when I was about your age, I, uh, I realized I didn't know very many people and I was probably going to starve. And the guy I was working with said, hey, why don't you come over here and do mortgages? You can make some some decent money doing mortgages, and then you can come back to financial planning. And about two years in, being a loan officer, you know, it was making good money and uh, doing really well. And I uh, really never looked back. So I uh, started my own company at 26 and just kind of, it was just me and uh, just just started that, just, just a one-person show. And uh, off I went, uh, knew nothing, but uh, learned really quickly uh, the do's and don'ts, a couple steps forward, step back, and, uh, you know, did that for six years, like I said, owned the company for six years, and then, you know, again, sold it to the bank in 2002, so it was a, it was a fun way to start, it was, uh, I was young, and didn't know much, but, uh, just figured it out along the way. Wow, that, that's super cool, and I, I bet you did figure it out along the way, it's crazy to think being almost 26 myself, I, I can't, I can't quite imagine doing that. Uh, so, so you, you've given me something to shoot for, but uh, okay. So when, after you sold your first company and then you started FCM, um, I mean, did you, were, were you starting and it was just you or did you, um, when did you start getting some employees? Cause I know now you have, you know, over 300, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Okay. We had 12 employees at the time. We were just kind of a small mortgage broker, uh, you know, working under the bank umbrella and just kind of grew over time. Uh, my goal, the reason I sold to the bank was 
I wanted to grow a larger organization that did retail, wholesale, and correspondent lending, basically having a um, uh, multi-platform mortgage banking operation, kind of a diverse operation. And I knew I needed a lot of capital and assets to do that, and I didn't have that, so I really needed a partner. So that's why I sold into the bank using their balance sheet to accomplish those things. So it was around 2004, 2005 that we started to convert from mortgage broker to mortgage banker, uh, getting our Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Jenny Mae approvals. And then the recession hit, great recession hit mm. in 2008. And for us, we were just small enough that we didn't have a lot of legacy issues. So um, if we'd grown big before the recession, it might have taken us out. Uh, so we kind of scaled through, and the next thing you know, there was a lot of talent out on the street because all these mortgage companies were closing, and there was just these incredibly talented people that had been either laid off or displaced, or they were moving. And it just seemed like overnight from 2009 to 2012, we went from about 30 employees to about 300. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so it was really a platform of growth for us. Oh, I bet. And and, and that's really cool how the recession then led to, to you having a lot of talent and, and lots of opportunities right there. So what was it like, I guess, for you starting out as um, years before being on your own and then having 12 people and then going from 30 to what felt like 300? I imagine you've worn just about every hat there is uh, when it comes to, to running a business and everything. So I guess as you gain more responsibility and are having to think more strategically, um, talk me through that process and maybe some of the things you've learned from a, I guess, from a leadership standpoint, and I know we could probably go on for about three hours from, yeah. <laughs> from for, with that question, but just yeah. I'm imagining someone who had a, a small company as it's growing, that's, that's probably a challenge. Yeah, for sure. And I didn't have any formal leadership training. Uh, training. I wasn't a very good student. Uh, in fact, I dropped out of college. Uh, I probably have, you know, a couple years of, of credits kind of halfway through. So you know, some college is what I, I put on the applications. And the and when people ask, you know, education, I put some college. And, um, you know, I certainly uh, see a lot of value in school. And, you know, um, I, I'm really thrilled that my, my children are, you know, going to college. And, and I certainly recommend that. But, uh, you know, it's not a necessity for everyone. And uh, certainly see a lot of value in uh, trade and, and other avenues. But, but, but anyway, back to the leadership. Um, really, it's, it's, it's just been, you know, as I go, um, learning, and I, I think the most important thing for me has been uh, learning how to self-assess and grow from failures, mistakes, trials, tribulations, because it's going to happen, right? And, uh, you know, the old adage of, of not making the same mistake twice, um, learning from your mistakes, failing fast, um, these are all things we should embrace. Uh, you know, the mortgage industry right now is in a very difficult situation with rising rates, um, affordable housing issues, lack of inventory. You know, we could go on and on about the challenges we're in. And we generally see companies when we're in difficult times, you know, leadership tends to do maybe like one of three things, right? They either retreat and get out of the business and, and just fail. Um, the second thing they do is, you know, shell up and they kind of just go into survival mode, right? They, they're not, they're just like, we just need to get through this, cut expenses, don't take any risks, just really go into a shell. And, and, and a lot of times that works and you'll survive. But then you also see companies in times like this 
that really thrive. And, you know, yes, you have to have expense management. You have to do certain things to get you through the period, but you can also look at it as an opportunity to get better. And, um, you know, we did that in the Great Recession, and that's what we're trying to do right now. Um, we're looking at trying to go out and find talent that aligns with our values and mission of the organization. We're trying to do implement efficiencies throughout technology or process improvement to, to make our organization, you know, more efficient and, and, and run better. So you can use these times like we're in today, or even when you have normal trials and, and challenges that come along in just a normal cycle to, to, to generally get better. And, um, you know, that's really just a philosophy for me that's been, and I don't know where I've stolen this from because I hear it all the time, but, you know, if you could just wake up and, you know, get 1% better, <laughs> you know, each and every day, where does that come from? You probably know. Uh, Project one, I think, I know James Clear talks about that a lot in Atomic Habits, but he probably go. got yeah, it from somewhere okay. too. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, uh, you know, I think the consistency, you know, 20 years, you know, day after day, just putting one foot in front of another, you know, it's, it's really starting to pay off. Yeah, I, I, I bet it does. And I, I wrote those down. You've got, you've got three moves when, when challenges come, maybe it's, it's retreat or, or sell out or, or, or give up, or maybe just try to survive or you thrive. And I feel like that's a mindset I've been thinking a lot about recently of when hard things happening happen, is it happening to you? Or is it happening for you? And it sounds like over your 20 years, you've learned that challenges come, but you can use that to learn how to thrive throughout them. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the choices we make, right? Like, for instance, we had talked before we came on about, I just recently, I was, we were, we were celebrating my weight loss, uh, you know, and winning a little competition at the gym. And I've done that in probably what is one of the most stressful times in my career. And I really made a conscious choice. Number one is a good leader to set a good example for the senior leadership team. But two, I knew that you know, we can stress eat and we can, we can make, you know, some unhealthy habits, right? Get in front of the TV and eat unhealthy. And because we're trying to escape kind of that period that we're in, but I made a conscious choice that I was going to, you know, drop some weight, stay really healthy and make good choices during this period. And it was all a choice, right? I could have done the other and had all kinds of valid excuses for, you know, I just come home and get in front of the TV and, and veg out and eat and, and it would make me feel better. But we know long term, that's, that's not the approach, right? So we have to dig in and make those hard choices. And ultimately, that leads to benefit in our lives. Mm. It, it, I'm learning as I'm thinking about this, because I feel like you, you get these triggers of, of maybe hard times or challenges are coming. And so like, what I tell myself is, oh, maybe it is, oh, you know, no one's going to get no one's going to blame me if I if I just sit in front of the TV or, or veg out or whatever it is but it's almost like let me go in the opposite direction and use this as an opportunity to thrive but you've mm -hmm. got to be able to see further than one two three days it's got to be almost uh, years because in the moment it's obviously always going to be better to to maybe sit in front of the TV you know so good for yeah. you you're you're firing me up this is great <laughs> <laughs> um okay so we have talked a little bit about this in previous conversations, but as you have 300 people now and, you know, you think for things like your, your culture and 
uh, building talent and retaining talent. I mean, what kind of systems do you all have in place when it comes to developing not only current leaders, but, but future ones too? Yeah, so we were intentional a couple of years ago. We started a leadership academy. Uh, we call it the FCMLA, our First Community Mortgage Leadership Academy. That's the acronym FCMLA. And uh, the idea behind this was to invest back in our people and to give them leadership development, you know, across the organization. So we started with the senior leadership team and started kind of working down throughout the organization. I think we've had three full classes, probably touched about 55 to 65 people. And we kind of came up with our own um, curriculum uh, that, we, that, we, that we used. And uh, there's six sessions. We run them half days, you know, once a month for six months, have a big graduation party. Uh, and, and really the employees, you know, learn all kinds of skills from, you know, self-assessment, 360 work, uh, how to handle conflict, you know, critical thought around team building, um, you know, all the kind of components it takes to, uh, to be a good leader. And then afterwards, uh, they kind of roll into an alumni program. And, you know, we talked about maybe using some wild spark materials for that. But, uh, uh, you know, ultimately, it's we want to keep that going and, um, you know, not lose those things. And it just becomes this book on the shelf, right? It needs to be active and engaged and, you know, practice. Um, you know, as, as we move forward. Mm. Yeah. And I, I love the idea of the leadership Academy. Uh, and that's just great leadership from you looking ahead and seeing this is an opportunity to invest in people, but then also it's, I love the alumni too, because it's, we, we've never fully arrived as leaders. I mean, I know you, and I know you're always reading a book and um, I mean, so I think it's cool to say, this isn't something that's on the shelf. It's, we always want to be learning and developing into ourselves. And so, um, that that's awesome yeah, to see you guys doing that. We we just got back from a senior leadership retreat, and and each of the senior leaders had to share with each other a commitment of where they're going to get uncomfortable. And you know that's what growth is about is about stepping out into something that's uncomfortable, and um, you know maybe not mastering it, but learning it and, and getting better at it so that it's less uncomfortable. And for me, uh, you know, my commitment to, to the team was to step into more of a kind of prominent national role uh, in our industry. And that might involve some public speaking, definitely more attendance at conferences, um, you know, networking more, being on LinkedIn more. And you know, I shared with you, I'm an introvert. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm, 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 I'm uncomfortable about this next phase or steps or phase in my journey. But I committed to the team to do it. And I'm looking at, at resources and ways to, uh, to help me. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about the journey. Mm, I, I'm excited. I'm excited for you. And I love that you all went around and made it made a commitment to say, hey, we know that growth happens most when we're uncomfortable and we're going to commit to each other. And that that's what we talk about a lot here at WildSpark. It's, it's growth happens best in the context of community. So if I'm on my own, there's not much accountability there. I mean, Keith and I have, have actually been going through Proverbs this month and every morning we text each other our thoughts about it. If I didn't have Keith to text, I might skip it one morning or I may not actually think about 
what I'm reading through. And even if you just have one more person to go through something with, it, it, it goes a super long way. So I guess, how has that been having your senior leadership team? I mean, how much more are you motivated to get uncomfortable because of them? I guess is my next question. Yeah, um, the accountability brings about uh, certainly uh, we're going to have to look each other in the eye pretty soon. And when we do follow up work on on what we took away from the retreat. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just motivating knowing they're also working on things that they're uncomfortable with. And, um, you know, it's, it's really been the highlight of my career getting so aligned with this current team that we have um the current team that we have is by far we 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 have a, a diverse group a group that is really excited about our future about growing about reimagining our business and in a sense getting uncomfortable and we don't have it all figured out by any means but where I'm really excited is they're willing to go on the journey, right? They're willing, they're on the bus, they're excited about being on the bus, and they want to be on the bus. And uh, um, we've had periods of like that here at, at the company before, but it's never been like it is right now. It's, uh, it, it's certainly at a different level. And that motivates me as a leader, just to go out and just, you know, do everything I can to to uh, crush the goals and crush the, the things I said I was going to do. Wow. It sounds like, yeah, I mean, you have a solid group that's aligned. Um, amazing things are going to happen. So I'm excited yeah. for you all. Now, when you have a fantastic senior leadership team, but then you have 300 employees, there's obviously, I know you have like a lot of, a lot of layers. And so a, a challenge that I see in some organizations is they have a phenomenal CEO or senior leadership team, they, they're aligned with the vision, mission, and values and everything. But as, as you know, as, as an organization grows in order to scale that you've got to develop, you know, more of that, that middle layer of people. So I imagine the leadership Academy has been part of that. Um, but, but what are some things that you've learned uh, when it comes to, to knowing that you're not going to be able to necessarily have a deep relationship or be able to lead every single person at FCM so I guess what I'm asking is like, how have you been able to equip some of that middle management layer to be able to, to, to maintain like the culture that you started from the beginning? Yeah, it's, it's extremely difficult. And, you know, obviously COVID and remote work has even added another layer to that challenge. It's really about being intentional about our, you know, communication, messaging, um, the way we try to drive healthy culture. And, and, you know, culture is an interesting thing because it's definitely something that needs to be in a process, whether it's formal or informal, because you can say all you want. It's how you react to problems. It's how you treat your client, your, your employees or your clients. Um, it's that day-to-day -day interaction mm -hmm. of how you're executing your business does it align with what you're saying or your mission statement or your values that are on the wall? And if there's a disconnect, your employees know that really quickly. Yeah. And I, you know, again, I spoke to that consistency over 20 years and we certainly have employees that have been here, you know, 15, 16, 17 years, all the way down to, to newer employees. And it is a challenge to, to, you know, 
get that message all the way down as far as what our values are and, and how we want to kind of execute on a day-to-day -day basis. But ultimately, the more process you can build in it to it, whether it's um, how your HR onboards people, how you do your first 90 days of training, um, what are your, what is your, you know, review process like as far as engagement with your employees? Do your employees know what a win looks like on a day-to-day -day basis? Do they know what their expectations are? Can you measure those and share with them where they might be falling short or where they might be exceeding? You know, all of that, you know, kind of combined together, you know, ultimately can really drive forth a healthy workplace culture. And, you know, you have to be very intentional about it because um, if you're not, then you can see your culture kind of go in a lot of different directions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I think a lot of times when organizations grow, they focus a lot on building those systems you know, because you have to. But one thing that I've seen is, and, and a previous guest, Riley Bowling, talked about this, it's, it's challenging to, to, as you grow, build the system, but all, also keep people at the center and be relational um, which I know that you've been able to do that at, at a high level, but I know it's not easy. Um, no, so. it's not. And, you know, again, we're, we're, we're kind of in this hybrid world now of some people working from home, some people working from the office. Nobody really knows what's best. Do, do we need to bring our employees back? Do we allow them to work from home? We've taken a real hybrid approach here at FCM. Um, you know, we, we do have a lot of remote workers across the country, and we find some really talented people that way. But I worry, you know, long term for those that are at home that they don't think they need that social engagement or, you know, the, the co-workers and friends that they develop, but they really do. Yeah. And I, I just worry that we're going to have some long term, you know, consequences of, of remote work. And um, so we try to do things like, for instance, our HR team or our risk team or, or whoever it is. They, they will at least come in once a week, you know, and they're together, let's say it's all day on Wednesday and they have their meetings and they're face to face and they'll have lunch together and they'll have that social engagement. And then they get the benefit, you know, the rest of the week of working from home. And that seems to be like the best um, solution in a hybrid uh, workplace. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens as the years go on, because I think I mean, people to a lot of people are enjoying working from home, but I think we do take for granted that social interaction that we have. So I think that hybrid environment um, can can definitely be good. Um, so I wanted to ask you, because I know we've talked about a couple of different books before. And I uh, for those of you listening, I actually know Keith's son, Harrison. I've gotten to know him pretty well. But and he told me about some of the books that you even had him read when he was younger, uh, which maybe at the time felt like homework assignments, but I think he's thankful for now. Um, I was like asking, like, do you have some, some go-to books that have just been helpful for you? Yeah, sure. Probably number one on the list, Go-Giver. Uh, I don't know if you've, you've done the Go-Giver. Oh yeah. Book, but uh, that's, that's just a classic, just a really good starter. I had had all of my kids read that. Um, obviously, how to win, win friends and influence people. Um, I, I really like the Godin book, Lynchpin. Um, you know, any of the Seth Godin books were, were are really you know phenomenal. Uh, Maxwell leadership books. You know, Twenty One Laws of Irrefutable Leadership is is really good, really practical, uh, something that you can take right in your organization. 
Uh, I've spent time on the good to great stuff, uh, built to last, and then more recently, maybe like Atomic Habits. You know, we already talked about that one. But uh, yeah, probably really the most impactful book, though, to be honest with you, is a book written by John Mackey called Conscious Capitalism. Okay. And it's, and it's, he was the co-founder or founder of Whole Foods. And while our ideologies on a lot of things probably wouldn't line up, his approach to capitalism is really beautiful. And if you think about it, um, capitalism has done more for the world as far as literacy and, um, you know, poverty levels and things like that than any other ism, you know, rather than socialism, communism, and all this, all those isms that we have out there. And Yes, capitalism is not perfect because it's man-driven and it's kind of man-centered. And we know that when power rests with man, they abuse it. And mm. we, we understand that that people in CEO positions and leadership positions can take advantage of workers, vendors, clients, and, and things of the like. And we see that often. But at the same time, the premise of the book is if you understand and you truly value the stakeholders across your platform as Whole Foods has to, right? Farmers, supply chain, vendors, you know, it's crucial to their their business. Um, you know, you treat those stakeholders across your industry with a lot of respect. So what what it allowed for me, and, and I was kind of on this path before I had read the book, but we really needed to simplify our approach here at FCM. And we came up with something called We Serve Four and basically identified the four key stakeholders to our business. And that was our employees, our clients, our shareholders, and our community. And, and I went through that and I said, you know, our mission and our goal around We Serve Four is that all four of these stakeholders, they must win for us to have true success. It's not true success if our, our shareholders are doing really well, but you know, our clients or our, our employees might be suffering or vice versa. You know, we might be making a bunch of decisions that are good for the employees, but if the shareholders are suffering, you know, their capital is what continues to make our business thrive. And we want that capital to reinvest. Or if we're doing all these great things and we're not investing back in our community, we're not completing the circle because the community is really what ultimately gives us all of our business. So we came up with this thing we serve for and 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 really cut, try to simplify our decision in making around these four key stakeholders well this book i was kind of just found it and was reading it at the same time and it, it really is just about intentional capitalism and the idea that if you approach it in a way where all these stakeholders have to win and nobody abuses the other and we try to be fair to each other then capitalism by far is the best method to drive um, improvement across our society. This is fascinating. I think we may have to do a whole separate podcast on the subject right here, but I, I love the we serve four. I mean, you've simplified it and said, if we can serve all four of, of, of these groups well, we're going to win. And it reminds me of two episodes ago with the guest I had, April Schrentz, um, she talks about what she calls the generosity culture. She has a business um, driven outcomes. And she says, you are to pour into your people, 
your clients and in your community. So we'll add shareholders in there. Sure. <laughs> but she, yeah, she often says, <laughs> she often says like, do it in that order too, because if you pour into your people first, they'll serve your clients and then that'll flow into your community. And so I know that all of these things are really equally important. Um, but I, I guess a follow-up question I have for you is so often when, um, in my experience, you know, working at Wild Spark when I'm getting in front of leadership teams and they're like, yes, I know we need to pour into our people and invest in them and all of that, but we're busy with X, Y, and Z and we may get to that later. Or I, I just think that like you have done a phenomenal job of investing in your people and your employees, but I don't think that that's incredibly common. Um, and so do you, I would, I would love for you to just give some advice or share a message to, to the CEO that's listening that, um, that could probably do a little bit more work on the investment side in their employees. Yeah, I really, to be honest with you, I don't think it takes a lot of money. It just takes time and intentionality around, you know, setting it as a priority. We have four strategic, very simple. We have four strategic um, kind of pillars, if you will, to, to our, to our strategic annual strategic plan. And that's we look at our volume, the amount of mortgages we're going to uh, originate. We look at profit. But then the final two are people and culture. And, you know, though we, and we base all of our plans around those kind of four pillars. And what I've learned, Hampton, over the years is when you look at culture, you know, there's really kind of two ditches you can get into that most companies get into. One ditch would be a family-friendly culture that moves too far into clicks, uh, preference over performance. We, we don't want to tell each other truth because we love each other so much. It's, it's uh, whoever, whoever's liked and whoever's in a certain click, they're going to get, it's not a meritocracy, right? It's like, oh, well, I know her, or, you know, nepotism comes in, you know, all these things that are unhealthy. It can, that, that's the ditch you can get in there. And with a performance-based culture, you know, you can get in the ditch of numbers over people, you can get into um, high pressure environments where people are stressed out all the time and all they care about is, you know, pleasing the shareholders and things like that. So that's that ditch. Well, a healthy tension is when you can have both in your organization where you have a really friendly, kind, caring culture where the, the best thing you can do is tell each other the truth. It's the most loving thing you can do. And at the same time, it's about meritocracy. It's about diversity of ideas. It's about healthy conflict. It's about we've got to hit our numbers and we've got to be excellent at what we do. And I think that's when you attract, you know, the type of people into your organization that are really serious about business. And so what I just said there, you can do all of that without a lot of money, right? Like it, like there's so much information out there through books or podcasts or whatever it is. You don't have to have some big leadership academy or whatever it is to accomplish those two things in your culture. That's so good. You're right. And it doesn't cost a lot of money, but it is going to take, it's going to have to be a priority. And just like anything, it may not be super easy to get something like this off the ground, but you've got to start at some point. And there's never a super convenient time. You can always make excuses to, to put, an initiative like this off and and something you mentioned as I'm thinking about this is we at WildSpark, we've got core values and and two of them are excellence and relationships, but they're in a specific order. Excellence is before relationships because 
everybody wants to have those relationships with, with your people and with your clients and coworkers and everything like that. But in order to earn the right to have those great relationships, we all think about on the golf course and business, you have to be excellent first. And so as I'm thinking about both of these pendulums of business, it's like, yes, like we can be super family friendly and everything like that, but also we've got to do business too. And so there's a world in which we can do both. And it sounds like you found a great balance, which is awesome. Well, we, uh, we strive every day to have that balance, but it's, it's obviously just like that whole misnomer of a perfect work-life balance. There's, there's no such thing, right? You're always going to kind of ebb and flow back and forth, but if you can put the guardrails up, um, you know, it's important to have the guardrails. Mm, absolutely. Um, well, Keith, this has been a pleasure. I'm sure we're, we're going to have to do this again at some point. I'm learning a ton from you, but Thank you so much for joining me. And hey, for those of you who have learned from Keith today, um, get on LinkedIn because he's about to be even more active on there. He <laughs> said it at the beginning. So if you don't see yeah. him, hold him accountable. <laughs> yeah. I really appreciate you taking the time with me, Hampton. Uh, I'll, I'll come on anytime. And um, it's, it's always fun to talk to you. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Well, that's it, folks. I hope you got half as much value out of that as I did. Keith is the man. I mean, whether we were talking about embracing failure or learning to thrive through challenging times or getting 1% better every day, or even the way that Keith was able to, to challenge himself and lose weight during the hardest time of his career, I just think that's amazing. Most of us feel bad for ourselves and go in the opposite direction. So, so much to learn there. And then his Leadership Academy, I mean, imagine working for an organization that has an academy specifically focused to you growing and developing as a leader. More organizations need to do that. And then even the accountability he has with the senior leadership team is just something that I'm not sure is normal. I mean, their commitment to getting uncomfortable together um, is going to take them a really, really long way. Um, the we serve for of caring for your employees and then your clients and your community and your shareholders. I mean, if you, if you get those things right, good things are going to happen. And then finally, he has a great, um, explanation of culture. You know, the, most organizations go in one extreme or the other of having too much of a family friendly atmosphere where people are afraid to step on each other's toes and tell each other the truth. Or the other side of it is where um, it's way too like performance focused. And Keith has been able to find a balance. And I think all of us can focus on that within our organization. So, you know what the goal of this podcast is it's for you and I to wake up and lead. Let's commit to doing that. Looking forward to getting back on here next week. See you then.